welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you by Gesslitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gesslitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Robert Port and Millie Bombush, and today we are talking about long-term care insurance. What is it, and do I need it? And now it's time to introduce our guests. We are pleased to have with us today Harlan Grazer, Senior Risk Management Consultant at Signature FD, and Jason Lena, Lead Advisor of Resource Planning Group. I'd like to start by asking our guests to give us just a brief overview of themselves and their businesses. Let's start with you, Harlan. Good morning. Signature FD is a financial planning and wealth management firm, and my role there is as an insurance specialist, helping our advisors help their clients with personal insurance, including life insurance, disability insurance, and long-term care insurance. Okay. Jason? So Resource Planning Group is a fee-only comprehensive financial planning firm. I'm an advisor there and uh, work largely with mid-career and late-career professionals helping them make smart financial decisions. Okay. Well, we are here today to help our audience make smart financial decisions regarding long-term care insurance. Um, let's start with just the basic question, what is it uh, and who should include long-term care insurance in their planning? When we use the phrase long-term care, uh, what that is, is assistance that a person needs because he or she has an extended impairment of one of two types. It could be either a physical impairment in which someone needs assistance with the activities of daily living, like eating or bathing or dressing, et cetera, or it could be a cognitive impairment. Someone needs supervision because they pose a threat to their own health or safety due to some type of cognitive impairment. That could be from a head injury, or it could be from some type of dementia, such as Alzheimer's and the like. So, for example, if someone can't remember to take necessary medications that they need to maintain their own health, that is posing a threat to their own health. And so they need supervision to have a daily constant reminder to do that. Or if they're, say, prone to perhaps wandering away, not realizing where they are, getting lost, and they need supervision because of that reason, that's another example of a cognitive impairment. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that this is long-term care, not short-term care. Um, this is not, when we talk about long-term care today, it's not about somebody, you go to a hospital, have a procedure, and you need 10 days or 20 days to recover. This is, this is months to years of, um, of care needs, as Harlan addressed. So who, who should be including long-term care insurance as part of retirement planning? Is this a product for everyone? Is this a product for people only of, of great wealth? It's definitely a targeted audience. And there's not a clear, there's not a clear line um, in terms of who should purchase long-term care insurance. But I'll try to make it somewhat clear. I think, you know, the super wealthy and wherever you want to define that, but, you know, someone with three to five you know, plus million dollars of assets doesn't necessarily, I would argue, doesn't necessarily need long-term care insurance. Sure, they can buy it and, you know, it may come in handy, but they can afford to self-insure. Because we think about insurance just from a fundamental perspective, you're buying insurance for financial catastrophe. 
And a couple years in a nursing home while painful for someone with a few million dollars is not financial catastrophe. They can afford those expenses. So where do you draw that line is someone, you know, I, I, one and a half, $2 million above that. There's a question about whether you need it just from that standpoint, is this going to be financial catastrophe? And, you know, that's, that's certainly a, a, a fair and reasonable discussion to have. Um, but there's a number where below a certain amount of assets, um, you also may not need long-term care insurance. And again, there's not a, a clear line here, but Medicaid steps in and we can, we can get into that discussion later where someone with say, uh, you know, $100,000 of assets to their name and net worth may not need to buy long-term care insurance because if, if they have that need in life, they're going to be able to rely on, on largely be able to rely on Medicaid the way it's structured right now. And, I'd like to add a little caveat to what Jason is uh, describing by way of the high net worth um, individual. As, as the answers tend to go with most financial planning questions uh, for client situations, the answer is it depends. <laughs> um, and in the case of a higher net worth individual, let's say we're talking about someone with a $5 million amount of investment assets. And that is the pot of money uh, that is there and intended for their retirement. Here are some of the considerations that I would that I would argue need to be thought through. Let's say we have a couple, um, husband and wife, who retired. They're in their mid sixties. They have this five. They've accumulated five million dollars for their retirement nest egg. We can argue around the margins, but let's use the general rule of thumb that many financial planners use to calculate what's the amount of income that you can draw off of that $5 million nest egg, they typically will talk about the 4% rule. You can start with 4% times 5 million, that's $200,000 as your starting annual retirement income, and then you can adjust that upward for inflation. Again, plus or minus, you know, the different methodologies that are used, but let's use, for the sake of argument, that 4% rule, $200,000. Now, that couple may, as they have thought through their retirement spending plan, they may have the entirety of that $200,000 allocated for lifestyle spending. Perhaps they may be involved in paying for private schools for the grandkids. Maybe they are committed to a significant degree of annual donations to a favorite charity or a church or synagogue or the like. Perhaps they um, uh, feel strongly about creating family memories by taking the entire family on a big vacation once a year, et cetera. So they may have the entirety of the $200,000 allocated, not for things that in their mind are discretionary. They may think of those things as hard, fixed obligations that they are committed to for, for their family. Now, I would argue that if that $200,000 is fully allocated, that a $100,000 diversion into potentially a need for long-term care might completely blow up those plans. And rather than spend down the capital that's throwing off that income, they may, want, they may prefer to have an insurance plan that could fund that extra $100,000 so they can still complete their obligations that that $200,000 was originally designed to do. So here's an example of where even a $5 million amount of investment assets may cause someone to say, even with that amount of money, 
I still would like to have an, a long-term care insurance plan to help provide the financial protection that, that I would like to have for my family. And we have clients who have four, six, you know, even $10 million who will decide that for them, a long-term care insurance plan makes sense. Now, Jason is right. Not, ev not everyone will have that degree of their retirement monies fully allocated to that extent. And they may say, uh, I can afford to reduce the remaining income to for my spouse or the rest of my family should a need for care develop. And, and you know, fair enough, that could be a, a wise decision, but not necessarily. And, and Harlan, you, you touch upon something that, that I think is, is very important and our listeners may not fully appreciate, which is the financial risk that the insurance is trying to cover. So maybe if both of you can give your sense of what the potential financial risk is if one needs to go into a long-term care situation, the average monthly costs, if you have any data on that, the average stay the average total outlay because as you point out even someone with means if the costs to acquire long-term care is significant it can completely upend their retirement planning and and their planning for later years that's right robert um the long-term care situations that one may find uh, that they're into um, could involve receiving care in many different locations, if you will. Most people prefer to, if they do develop a need for care, they prefer to receive their care at home to be able to stay in their home for as long as possible. In that situation, the cost of care may start out to be relatively modest. In today's market, the cost for a home health care aid is something in the vicinity of approximately $20 an hour. So if you only need someone to come into your home to provide care, let's say at the beginning, four hours a day, that's only 80 hours a day. Over the course of a month, you're talking about $2,400, $2,500 a month. So that's relatively modest. However, um, the cost of care in one's home could become the most expensive location in which to receive care if the degree of care that's needed ends up becoming a round-the-clock, 24-7 type of situation. Then you multiply out the numbers, you know, times 24 hours a day, multiple shifts of people having to be there. You may be talking, you know, twelve dollars to $15,000 per month uh, for a very expensive, you know, care scenario. So, that's it. so there could be a wide range when it comes to home care. For an assisted living facility that, uh, in today's market, a, a decent assisted living or ALF facility might cost something in the range of, of $5,000 a month. Um, for uh, the more serious um, skilled nursing home or, or, or skilled uh, nursing facility or nursing home level of care, for that, we might be talking about being in the neighborhood of about $9,000 a month for you know, a decent quality type of facility that most of our listeners might want to prefer. Yeah. So our so our listeners ought to think in terms of annual possibilities for for coverage like this or for the for the type of care they may want to have of anywhere from maybe on a low end of forty to fifty thousand dollars to over you know hundred hundred and twenty thousand dollars depending upon their situation. So so Jason is a financial planner. How does that figure into when you 
have a client and they're thinking about long-term care, how, do, how does that figure into the advice you give them about when to look at long-term care in terms of their age, their present income level, their present needs, their future needs, their medical history to the extent you get into it, their family history, things like that? The when to buy it is a, is a challenging question or a challenging issue because, I mean, ideally, I think it's fair to say that you would wait as long as you could and still be insurable, right? So um, if you could say, hey, I'm going to wait until 65, knowing that I'm going to be insurable, you would, you would do that from a financial perspective, I think. And, and you know, we could have that discussion. And, but the, the, the issue is you don't know if you're going to be insurable when you're 65 or 68 or 70. I think somewhere around 25% of all people who apply at 65 are deemed to be uninsurable. And this is not because they had... I mean, we're talking about... When we talk about long-term care insurance, it's important to point out that we're talking about morbidity risks, not mortality risks. So it's not that, hey, I had cancer five years ago, so I might not qualify. No, this is this is looking at other matters. So, in, um, in fact, on an underwriting basis, the insurance company might say, "Well, you had cancer. Maybe we won't have to pay for you that long in 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 a facility." Absolutely. So we have clients who are are just are afraid to. I don't know if "afraid" is the right word, but will will not um, apply for long term care insurance because they're going to uh, assume that they can't get coverage because they had some major illness that may shorten their their life expectancy. And we tell them just what you described, Robert, that you're probably not only likely to, uh, to, to qualify, but you're going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, from an insurability standpoint, you're going to be um, someone that an insurance company would want to cover. So, um, so, what, so what the underwriters would be roughly looking at is the distinction between a illness that might lead to death versus right. chronic illness that could last long, long periods of time. Right. And, and I think Harlan probably has better experience with this that, than I do. But yeah, they're looking for your, your family history. Is there, is there a history of dementia or Alzheimer's in your family? But, you know, and to go back to the question of when, based on what I, just to put some, um, just to put a funny answer on that, I think late 50s, um, early 60s is, you know, that's generally when I suggest that people um, really consider if you're going to buy long-term care insurance, I think that's the stage. Maybe it's a 10-year period from 55 to as late as 65 that you consider it. Now, you can, you can certainly buy it earlier and there's, there's pros and cons to that, but I think that's the period of, of time in terms of ages when I think it's, uh, it's best to consider it. Um, and generally speaking, um, Jason, younger people might pay less, but on the other hand, they're going to be paying for more years. That, that's exactly right. So when you start to do, we start to do the financial math and put this into spreadsheets and say, all right, if you start buying it at 45 or 50, as opposed to 60, you know, it, it's still because of those premiums that you avoid from 45 to, to 60, let's, let's say financially, that's going to be, it's going to be better to wait till 60. But again, you have to know you're insurable at that point. So, and you don't. Sure. And, and are the premiums on this uh, generally a level premium? What you sign up for initially is what you're obligated to pay <laughs> without the insurance company raising it? Or is there an additional financial risk that the insurance may, uh, the premium may jump up and become uh, unaffordable? The insurance premiums on long-term care insurance are designed to be level. However, they are not guaranteed to be level. And in fact, the insurance carriers, all the insurance carriers who offer long-term care insurance have the ability to increase rates on existing policyholders, and they have indeed done so. And in fact, for planning purposes, the expectation that we tend to set with our clients 
um, who are interested in long-term care insurance is, is to expect something just in very, very round guesstimated numbers, something in the range of perhaps as much as about a 30% increase over the remaining lifespan that you have uh, on your long-term care insurance premium over the premium that you initially purchase it at. And the reason for these rate increases is that carriers um, in the past, at least, have historically underestimated the amount of money that they're going to be paying out in claims, the duration of the claim, the degree to which people actually hang on to their policy and not allow them to lapse. Uh, all those assumptions that were baked into the original pricing models for long-term care insurance have uh, proven to be not exactly what the carriers originally assumed. And so therefore, um, in order to avoid losing money and becoming uh, an unprofitable block of business to the point that carriers find themselves in financial difficulty, they want to avoid that. And the states want them to avoid that. The states have allowed these price increases to occur. Now, I will say that in today's pricing environment, the likelihood of future rate increases from the pricing that exists today is much, much less than it was, you know, 10 and 15 years ago. The magnitude of the increases I would expect to be rather modest going forward, but there is that risk. There's one other element, and we'll probably talk about this later in the show, but there is a, on the, there has come onto the scene a newer type of long-term care insurance that combines LTC or long-term care with, say, a life insurance policy. Those kind of policies are built on a life insurance chassis. Therefore, the prices on those kinds of products are guaranteed, and they have no possibility of increase down the road. So that's, that's another um, um, possible reason to look at some of those things. One I, I would assume the premiums on that would have to be higher because you're, you're also adding to it a life insurance component. Exactly. Yes. Um, so, and would that also mean that there's more aggressive underwriting because now they've added to it the mortality that is issue? Ex that is exactly correct. Just as you and as Jason have pointed out, the, there is, you now have both the mortality factors as well as the morbidity factors to look at um, on the part of the carriers as they go through the underwriting cycle. Um, and just, just to follow up on that, I'm presuming then that policies like that might be more attractive to younger folks before they potentially have health issues that would make the underwriting process a little more difficult, or have I got that wrong? Well, in my experience, the people that are more attracted to those kind of policies are the ones who are squeamish about the use it or lose it nature of traditional long-term care insurance, because that type of insurance, just as your auto or homeowner's insurance, is designed so that if you never need it, they don't send you your money back or any portion of your money back. Um, that's a good story. To, it's a good situation to be in if you never need it, in this case, because you don't develop a, a, a need for care that requires you know, help from somebody else. But on the other hand, that's money out the door that you never recover. We all understand that's how most insurance works. But for the people that look at the premium that's required for long-term care and say, eh, if I'm going to be paying that for 20, 30 plus years, what, what do I get? What do I get out of that? Those folks like the idea of saying, if I never need it, there's going to be a guaranteed death benefit, essentially, 
that essentially returns all of the money that I've paid into this back to my heirs if I never need it. So they like that aspect of it. And that's what's most attractive to those folks. Jason, we've been talking about premiums and and increases and what they include, but we've not really put a dollar amount on it. Um, What, and I know it varies widely, but what is the range of premiums that we're talking about here for long-term care insurance? So to go back to what Harlan said, 10 minutes ago. And what I completely agree with is it, it really depends um, because you <laughs> right. can set every, you can set so many variables on the insurance. You can set how much it pays per day or per, per year. You can set what your quote elimination period is. So how many days you have to pay out of pocket before the policy starts to pay uh, what the inflation riders are. So all of the, there's, there's, there's several more factors, but considering that you can set all of those factors, the premiums really vary. Now, to 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 answer the question though, to say all right, I'm going to have a, just a standard, call it five thousand or six thousand dollar a month uh, policy that pays for three to five years, and Harlan probably, I mean Harlan does this every day, and I'm in, I'm in this world, you know, every couple of weeks, <laughs> um, so he has, but you know, I think you're looking at two thousand to upwards of six, seven, eight thousand dollars if you're going to get lifetime benefits, and, and obviously it depends on what age you buy it too. So if you buy it when you're forty five. It could be a thousand dollars. I mean, um, a month, or sorry, a year. Um, but so those are. I don't, Colin, you probably have a better um, range than than that. But I think of it as like two thousand to eight thousand dollars, depending on all of those variables. That's actually a pretty good. That's a pretty decent range, depending on all those factors that that Jason described. Uh, whether you're single, whether you're a couple, whether you want to combine the two pots of money into a shared pot of money, if you're a couple or not. I mean, there's lots of those things. But two to Two, two to eight thousand is probably for traditional standalone pure LTC insurance. That's probably pretty fair. On those combo products that combine the life insurance with the with the long term care, that's a little that's that will be higher numbers than that. I've got two um, very specific questions too about premiums. One is, do they vary by gender? Do women pay more? I'm, I'm thinking they probably do because women often live longer than men. They it. It absolutely makes a difference. Uh, They now, all carriers now have gone to gender-specific pricing. That did not used to be the case, but carriers came to realize that women receive about 70% of all claims dollars, and therefore, all things equal, same age, et cetera, um, females pay about about 60 to 70% more for equivalent coverage compared compared to males. Okay. And are premiums tax deductible? To us to some extent they are tax deductible. On the individual side, on just your personal 1040, the cost of a long-term care insurance policy needs to be combined with all your other medical expenses. And to the expen- to the extent that those medical expenses can show up as an itemized deduction, which has its own rules then yes, you can include long-term care premiums in those medical expenses. In, in the current tax environment, few people um, will have medical expenses high enough where they can deduct it, but it is possible. On the, biz- on the business front, if someone has their own business or they're a part owner of a business, then it is you can deduct long-term care insurance premium as a health insurance expense for employees. Um, if you're a business owner, you're, if you're the owner, it's a little trickier. But to the extent, and to most, in most situations, you can extend, you can, I'm sorry, deduct what's called the eligible premium amount, which 
is governed by IRS guidelines and is adjusted for inflation each year. If you happen to be the owner of a C corporation, then the long-term care insurance premium, even if you're an owner, can be fully deductible. And you can include your spouse on those kinds of policies too. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Robert Port and Millie Bombush from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We are talking with Harlan Greiser, Senior Risk Management Consultant at Signature FD, and Jason Lena, Lead Advisor at Resource Planning Group. Hey, we've been talking about the costs of these policies, generically. Now let's talk about what you get for what you pay. So, Jason, give us at least an overview of the types of uh, covered services and care that these policies offer. And, and I'm also interested in whether you can choose, you know, can you buy a policy that covers this type of situation, perhaps dementia, but not something else? You know, are there a la carte options? So to answer the first part of the question, I think policies bought more than say 10 years ago, it was maybe it was 15 years ago, it was all lifetime benefits or largely all lifetime benefits. Um, today, um, or, and for the past several years, um, and, and this goes back to what Harlan described before about just the mispricing of policies uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, today, the policies are, you can buy a policy that pays three years of, of coverage or five years of coverage or lifetime benefits. So you get to choose all of that. And that goes back to the, to the variability that I described before. Um, I forget the second part of your question. Sorry. Tell us generally your understanding of what, what services are covered. What, what are you buying? Again, this is insurance yeah. to cover risk. What risks in terms of covered services will you look to the policy to, to cover? Sure. There's the, so there's the requirement. So this is covering all of those things that Harlan described before. So assisted living, in-home care, nursing home. Um, but you have, to, you have to meet certain requirements. You have to uh, not be able to, um, to, to, to achieve two of the uh, six activities of daily living. So Harlan can, can describe all six of those from, uh, in, from, from memory. <laughs> um, but that, that's the requirement to qualify for, these, for, the, for the long-term care benefits. Now, insurance companies, this is, not, again, not a black and white. This is not like life insurance where you're either dead or you're alive. This is a lot more like disability insurance where there's a, there's a big shade of gray. Does this person qualify for disability insurance? Uh, does this person qualify for long-term care uh, assistance is the same kind of gray. So it, Harlan, you can probably speak to that. Yeah, the, yes. The language that was included in the 1960, 1996 tax legislation that actually included the HIPAA laws that's, that we now are all familiar with. At that time, it actually standardized the language governing eligibility triggers for long-term care benefits in order to keep the policy tax qualified. And when I use the phrase tax qualified, what that means is that if you receive benefits from the long-term care policy, that is tax-free money. You don't pay taxes, you don't pay income taxes on any of the benefits that you get. So in order to have a tax-qualified policy, the policy has to include the following language in the benefit triggers. And as Jason alluded to, there are the two triggers. There's the physical impairment or the activity of daily living trigger, or there's, and there's also the cognitive impairment trigger. So you have to satisfy one or the other. The activity of daily living or ADL trigger says 
that you require that a medical professional has to certify that medical professional being a doctor, a registered nurse, a licensed social worker. They have to certify that you require what's called substantial assistance with any two out of six activities of daily living, those being eating, bathing, dressing, going to the bathroom and performing personal hygiene, transferring, which is defined as being able to get yourself from a bed to a chair or vice versa. And then the sixth one is maintaining continence, managing any in, managing any incontinence issues. So if you need, due to, say, physical frailty um, or de- decline in health of that nature, if you need someone else to actually help you do those tasks, that is requiring substantial assistance. Um, so someone has to certify that you satisfy that need for two out of those six, and that help is expected to be needed for at least 90 days. The cognitive impairment trigger language says that, again, a medical professional has to certify that you require what's called substantial supervision because you pose a threat to your own health or safety due to cognitive impairment. And I gave some examples earlier than that. So as an example, simply choosing to move to an assisted living facility because taking care of the house and cooking meals, et cetera, is just getting too onerous and you just feel like it's easy, it'll be an easier thing to do to just move to an assisted living facility, that does not satisfy the requirement. Again, you have to satisfy either needing that substantial assistance with two out of six ADLs or the cognitive impairment uh, trigger. So that you have to be very careful that that's the condition that has to be satisfied. Now, once you do satisfy those, to directly get back to your original question, Robert, about so what kind of services do you get? That that allows you to hire an outside person, could be a certified nursing assistant, say, a, a CNA, to come into your home and to help to actually help you with those ADLs. Uh, and while they're doing that, once you satisfy those two out of six, it's often uh, common to have that helper come in and do some other things that are not on that list. They could come in and do, if, if you're receiving care in your home, it's pretty common to have those folks come in and, for example, do some light housekeeping or do some meal preparation or do some other things to help ensure that you can remain in your home for an extended period. As we've mentioned, uh, you can also choose to get that care provided in a nursing nursing home facility or an assisted living facility. So the policy will reimburse you for the cost of care in those facilities. Very often to remain at home, um, not only do elderly people or people with disabilities need care, but they might need home modifications, you know, rails built into the the bathroom, maybe a ramp at the door. Does Mm -hmm. long-term care insurance cover that kind of thing as well? Most policies absolutely do include that to some extent. It's not an unlimited um, amount of dollars. Nothing in life gives you an unlimited amount of dollars. That's right. But a a portion of the uh, maximum monthly benefit that that the policy will pay for is available actually on an annual basis for things like home modifications, ramps, grab bars and showers, um, uh, other kinds of things that will allow you to stay in, stay in your home for as long as possible. And Jason, many people may be wondering, what's the interplay between long-term care and Medicare? 
How, how does that work? Because there are theoretically dollars available from Medicare. And if you have one of these policies as well, how do you integrate the two? How do they integrate? Yeah. So there's, so, uh, there's actually three. So we're going to, I'm going to talk about, even though you didn't ask Medicare, Medicaid, and then long-term care insurance. Um, we, you know, we've already discussed about what long-term care insurance covers, but Medicare is, go back to what I said at the onset, it's the short-term uh, care needs. So it's for, uh, first 20 days after, so there's rules on this, hospitalization, three days, I think it is in the hospital. Um, Medicare will cover those first 20 days of, of recovery. And then it will also cover not at a hundred percent. I think it's a, it'll pay an amount for the days 21 through 100. I think it's about $160 deductible that you pay and then Medicare pays the rest. Is that right, Harlan? There's a co, there's a co-pay, co-pay yeah. that's adjusted in your year that yeah, is available, but only for that day 21 to, to 100. To 100, right. So that's the short-term care that we, that we talked about before. Um, so Medicaid is going to, is, is entirely different. That does cover long-term care. Um, and where Medicaid steps in is to say, I don't have enough assets or, and or income. And there's an asset test and an income test to, for, for Medicaid to trigger. And then Medicaid jumps in and, um, and fills that, that void. Now, can, can one qualify for Medicaid if you have a, I'll say a robust long-term care policy? Is the policy viewed as an asset? So the, the, Go ahead. The, uh, the, the short answer is they don't count that. They don't count that as an asset. Um, however, I mean, they obviously would see that if you do have long-term care right, insurance, you're paying the they, premiums. They, they, they would want you to u- utilize that policy first, right. and only if there is an excess degree of cost above whatever the benefit is from that policy would Medicaid step in. And to add some additional info on this, it's it's important to understand that Medicare, as well as any other type of regular health insurance that you might get through work or purchase on your own on the exchange, Medicare and regular health insurance is designed to help you make what's called medical recovery from some medical event, whether it's an illness or an accident or something like that. Once your degree of recovery plateaus and you no longer and you're you're not going to get any better than the level of health that you're at, that's when Medicare and, Medic- and, and regular health insurance cuts off. Um, once you no longer need what's called skilled medical care to, make med- to improve your condition, to make medical recovery, that's when that insurance cuts off. And so it's actually pretty common. Uh, it's, it's actually rare that Medicare, for example, will cover that entire 100-day period because your degree of recovery typically plateaus and flattens out well before that 100-day mark. And Medicare is going to say, I mean, the le- where you're at right now is it is what it is. You're not getting any better. So we're not going to be paying any more than that. So it's because of this need. If you do have a need for continued care well beyond that point, that's why long-term care insurance got invented to fill that gap and to provide the financial resources to c- allow you to continue to have care for an extended period of time. And there's, and I'll jump back in. There's a really important point that I wanted to make about Medicaid too, which is that Medicaid only covers nursing home coverage. Okay. So when we talked before about um, assisted living and in-home care, Medicaid does not cover any of that. So it only comes in when you're admitted to a nursing home and, and deemed that you have to be in a nursing home. So 
um, important concept to, to, for people to understand that, you know, long-term care insurance covers all those pieces. Medicaid does not. As far as the, and I won't get into this because A, it's not my expertise and B, it's a complex area. There are, as I mentioned, asset and income tests. Um, someone can be, so a married couple, I'll take my, I'll use myself as an example. If I have a need for, to be in a nursing home and my wife had, my wife has a pension that pays $100,000 a year to her, I can still qualify for Medicaid if I meet the asset test and the income test because Medicaid doesn't care about that income to her. There's also assets that can be hers that um, Medicaid may not care, will not care about that will allow me to qualify for nursing home uh, Medicaid coverage, even though she has assets and income. So, One other element to throw in here that we haven't talked about um, is what's called um, partnership policies. Um, long-term care insurance policies that are sold today, the vast majority of them fall under what's called the partnership rules. This is something that was introduced, you know, maybe five or so years ago. Um, what this does is um, helps people, it gives people an extra economic incentive to consider purchasing long-term care insurance because of the Medicaid spend-down rules that Jason talked about. Again, remember, Medicaid requires you to spend, basically spend down your assets, on, uh, and only until that happens will Medicaid step in as the sort of insurer of last resort and pay for your care in, in say, a nursing home. In order to um, in order to help you to incent to incent to incentivize you to consider long term care insurance, what these partnership policies are designed to do is, if you buy a partnership qualified policy, then whatever benefits are paid out to you in long term care benefits, you are able to offset dollar for dollar that amount of benefits against your assets so that you don't have to spend that amount of assets down. So as an example, if your long-term care insurance policy pays out $200,000 of benefits to you, um, then you're able to shelter $200,000 of your other assets without having to spend those down. Um, most, most states have those partnership qualified policies available, and, and that's another, another incentive. Let's let's shift gears a little bit because um, we've heard about how complex this is. Let's talk about start starting from the beginning and shopping for a long term care policy. What are if someone in our audience is listening and says maybe this is something I should investigate? What are the first things that they need to think about with regard to purchasing? And do you really need to hire a consultant to advise <laughs> you, um, or is this something that you know an average person um, can figure out on his or her own? The, the very first question to consider uh, is about their health. This is a health qualifying type of insurance. It is essentially only available for people who are in reasonably good health. If the carrier, because in the, in the course of applying for a policy, the carriers are going to check out your medical history and your medical records with a fine tooth comb. And if they perceive any medical condition that in their minds is essentially a claim in the waiting, it's not a matter of when you'll go on claim, or it's not a matter of if you'll go on claim, just a matter of when, they likely will decline you for coverage. So you have to be in reasonably good health to even, even qualify to obtain one of these types of policies. Assuming you kind of pass that hurdle, 
<clears throat> I would I would definitely recommend connecting with an experienced insurance agent who is well familiar with the long-term care insurance market. Because of the many variables that Jason mentioned at the at the front of our program, um, it helps to be working with someone who knows all the ways, all the, the variables that are involved in designing a policy, which carriers have the right kind of features that make the most sense for you uh, and, and your partner or spouse. Um, and so it helps to make sure that you're working with, with someone who is knowledgeable about that and who can represent many different carriers, not necessarily just one particular carrier. So I would recommend working with that type of an individual. And Jason, do you recommend working with um, a financial planner as well, just to determine what the what the need is? Yeah. So, to, of course, you do. <laughs> <laughs> to piggyback, I mean, to piggyback what Harlan said a minute ago, I would absolutely agree that this is not a place you want to go alone. To, to you need to bring in an insurance expert. So, yeah, we tend to um, work with. We say tend to. We always work with a an insurance agent when we're talking with a client about long term care insurance. So it's. So it's the client, it's us as an intermediary, and it's the long and it's the long-term care insurance agent who understands the marketplace far better, like so, like Harlan, far better than the the other two parties. Um, so so yes, then um, that helps um, that helps address how much insurance does this because because we're gonna have a better handle hopefully on how much insurance that person needs and what you know. Are they going to need? Are they going to benefit from inflation protection, or or do they need that? How much? Um, how much can they afford to pay in premiums? So, I mean, ideally, uh, and I say we, but a financial planner is who's been working with the client for a number of years is going to have a better handle on all of the other pieces of their financial lives to understand how much they can afford to pay and how much they need and what kind of a financial catastrophe this would be. And to understand, I mean, we haven't even talked about this, but are there is there a family nearby? What's the support system like nearby? And is there is there a target for an inheritance to be left? So all of those pieces, I think, is where a financial planner um, provides some 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 utility in this conversations discussion. And and I would also think you could also provide as as you said utility if the client either doesn't qualify or doesn't think long term care insurance is appropriate for them. So I'm presuming you would also think of other ways to generate the money to cover long-term care, perhaps a reverse mortgage, perhaps, um, you know, selling a life insurance policy, if that's appropriate. What, what other, if, if those are appropriate, uh, what uh, options might be available as an alternative to long-term care purchase? Yeah. And I th- well, I'll be clear, or let me just pinpoint that it's not an all or nothing decision when you think about long-term care insurance. I mean, we can sit sit here and say, all right, it's going to be $8,000 a month for nursing home care. And so that's what we're trying to insure. But we don't necessarily need to insure for $8,000 a month. And, and that goes, this goes back to, a con, you know, part of this conversation earlier, say, all right, you know, this, this couple is now traveling the world and they're spending, you know, $3,000 a month on travel expenses and they've got fancy cars. Well, if they're in a, if one or both of them are in a nursing home, those expenses, those type of variable expenses potentially go to zero. So when you talk about the, the need for care and, you know, and, and paying for $8,000 a month of care, well, a lot of that may be covered by expenses that go away or, or dramatically fall. So that, I think that, you know, as a first point, um, other ways to, to cover this and, you know, in terms of that not all or nothing decision, home equity is, is definitely a part of the equation. Now, I, I don't think you want to re- rely on a home equity 
if it's a husband wife and you know one spouse may may need to live in that home for another 30 years then then it becomes the challenge of how much do you rely on home equity especially if you well if there's a if there's a two spouse situation it becomes a lot easier if it's one person and and um there's a lot of home equity and so yes that can be part of the equation as can a you know a portfolio as can uh, you're you're valuing other income streams social security and pensions and annuities and so forth and i'd like to add on to a couple yeah. of things that that jason mentioned Number one, we don't. You don't necessarily have to, as Jason points out, you don't have to insure for the worst case. If a, uh, if a nursing home level of care is the, a reasonable worst case scenario that costs eight or nine thousand dollars a month, um, it is perfectly okay to say, "Well, I'm willing to self-insure a portion of that, but I'd like." a significant chunk of that potential risk to be on the shoulders of an insurance carrier. So I might, I might, I might put 6,000 of that 9,000 onto the shoulders of an insurance carrier. I'll self-insure for the remaining three in that kind of worst case, worst case scenario, because again, I may never need it. And so you don't necessarily, in my opinion, want to over-insure. And, and, and so I think a good, a reasonable balance between some degree of self-insurance as well as risk transfer to an insurance company, I think is appropriate. One, one other thing that I wanted to uh, mention uh, in answer to your question, what other sources of funds might be used uh, to, um, to help pay for an, uh, a long-term care policy? The, I think it was, uh, what, what year was it? Um, I think about six years ago, the tax legislation from about six years ago instituted um, tax laws that allow you to do a tax-free exchange of the cash value from an existing life insurance policy or an existing annuity into a long-term care policy as a tax-free exchange. So if you have, say, an old variable life policy that has a lot of internal gain that's been built up because of the rise of the stock market, you can do a tax-free exchange of that amount of money into a long-term care plan to, to help jumpstart or f- even fully fund it without ever having to pay any tax on it. And if you then receive all the benefits back from that, long, from that long-term care plan, then that's, that, that's tax-free. So then you've completely eliminated the tax on that gain. So that is another source of funds that we often help clients look at. That, that's a great point. Uh, we anytime somebody's got an annuity or life uh, life insurance contract that they maybe they they feel like, hey, I don't know why I bought this, and before they get rid of that, we are absolutely looking at um, what Harlan just described as these hybrid products where they can take that money, exchange it to a into a long term care hybrid pro- policy, with, whether it's a long term care plus annuity or, or plus life, and get that huge tax benefit. I mean, I think look, uh, based on what. I mean, Harlan described the partnership policies and then just described the, the tax law change from several years ago. I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that the government is trying to make long-term care insurance as attractive as, as possible if, it, because it's in their best interest. I mean, who's benefiting from long-term care insurance most? Well, it's, it's I mean, not to make this political, but it's the government because it means that they have to spend less dollars on Medicaid, which is, you know, potentially going to be a, a big issue here in the next 20 30 years as baby boomers start to have a massive need for that long-term care. I want to bring up one um, pretty practical issue that I have seen in my practice. Um, I, I hope you agree with me that it's very important that you don't stop paying the premiums <laughs> because then the coverage lapses. And I've seen situations where the parent 
uh, you know, does have long-term care insurance, is getting elderly, hasn't filed a claim yet, but is starting to be forgetful and forgets to pay the premiums. And then 20 or 30 years worth of premiums, you know, it's lapsed. So would you advise uh, parents or, or people who have these things to either make sure someone else in the family knows about this? Perhaps the insurance company can notify someone else. You know, there are two people who get the notices if a premium is late. Um, because that's just tragic when that happens. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Millie. And in fact, uh, on virtually all long-term care insurance applications that I'm aware of today, um, there is uh, an entry for you to indicate who is to be notified in the event of inadvertent lapse of a policy. Excellent. So you actually write into the application and can name someone to do that. And you can have multiple people. In fact, um, for any any financial advisor who might be listening to us here, um, I would advise you to ask your, ask your client for permission to be included as one of the people to be notified in addition to their family member so that there's multiple backups, if you will, to make sure that someone is notified who can then jump in and take action to make sure that the premiums are, are continued to be paid on time to avoid that, that possibility of lap, inadvertent lapsing. We're Getting close to the end of our show, so what we'd like to do is ask each of you to provide our listeners your contact information, website address, any social media identifiers you wish to share, uh, so that our listeners who may want to contact you or find out more about your uh, uh, your respective businesses might be able to do so. Uh, Jason, let's start with you. Resource Planning Group is my firm. Um, our website is uh, RPG Planner. Dot com. Um, there's a there's a I guess a wealth of information on there. Blog. Um, we have we do social media, so it's uh, Twitter handles at RPG Planner. So keep it the same as the website. Um, I think that covers it. And um, and uh, yeah. oh, sorry, for our listeners, uh, how about your uh, email address? Yeah, and phone number. Thank you, Jason at rpgplanner.com, and then a phone number is seven seven zero six seven one ninety five hundred. Thank you, Arlen. Our firm's website is SignatureFD.com. That's Signature, F as in Frank, D as in David, dot com. Uh, my email address is Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N, dot Grazer, G-R-A-I-S-E-R, at SignatureFD.com. My phone number is 404-253-7618. I want to thank both of our guests very much. We've learned an enormous amount about long-term care insurance. And as we're wrapping up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Mm-hmm.